Well, we have come to the end. We are at the end of our passage, the story of the, the, the lost ark. We've been looking at, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the story of the lost ark. And we've seen the, the, the story has been really not a pleasant story most of the way. In Hollywood, it's kind of a, an adventure and it's exciting when you find the lost ark. But what we found is that throughout the scriptures, the lost ark have been uh, at best bittersweet. And we see that here in the passage today. Today's passage is where the ark is finally lost. We saw once before the lost was captured, but everyone knew where it was. It was lost in battle, but it wasn't lost geographically. Everyone knew where it was. And after a period of time, God persuaded the captors to return it to Israel. And so for the last 400 years prior to our story today, the ark has been in a known location. No one has been in any doubt about where the ark was. But in today's lesson, we see how the ark is finally lost. No one knows where the ark is. And maybe it's like Hollywood would tell us, maybe it's in a, in a well of souls somewhere in Egypt. Maybe it's in a big warehouse in a, in a anonymous crate somewhere and top men are working on things. Um, maybe, maybe something else. No one knows. For 2,600 years, no one has known where the Ark of the Covenant is. So we come to the end of the line in today's passage. We read in the scriptures, we're at the end of the story. We're, we're at the end of Second Kings, the, the books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings tell the story of the the end of uh, the period of time between the end of the judges and the end of the the beginning of the exile, and we're at the end of that. In Second First and Second Chronicles is another telling, kind of an edited version with a different with a different focus, but we have here the story of the end of the period of time when Israel was ruled by kings. And it ended with a massive defeat in battle. The Babylonian Empire, which has, which has been growing for the last uh, several decades, has come up from Babylon, modern day Iraq. It's come up through the, per, uh, through the, uh, uh, the, the fertile crescent and around to the, the top of the Mediterranean Sea, the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, down through what is today Syria and Lebanon, down into the Holy Land. So, so the Babylonian Empire has conquered all of this great swath of territory and now they've come to to Jerusalem and so we read that um, in the fifth month on the seventh day of the month during the 19th year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuzaradan the king the captain of the bodyguard came to Jerusalem uh, came to Jerusalem is such a polite way of putting it he has besieged Jerusalem and waited it out until finally uh, they were able to storm the walls or until the people said, we give up and sued for peace. So whatever it was, um, they get inside the walls of, of Jerusalem. And what does he do when he gets inside? He sets fire to things. It says, he burned the house of the Lord, the temple. He burned the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burnt down. So you can imagine the destruction all the army of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is is another word for Babylonians. The Chaldeans, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem has the status of a village. It was the great city of Israel, and now without walls, it's just one more village. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile the rest of the people who were left in the city. So those who had waited out the siege on the inside and those who had escaped beforehand and were captured had defected to the 
to the king of Babylon, all the rest of the population. They're carried off into exile in Babylon. But the captain of the guard left a few of the poorest people of the land to be vine dressers and tillers of the soil. Anyone with any kind of talents or skills, anyone of any prominence is taken into exile. But a few of the very poorest people, people who probably wouldn't have been able to live in Jerusalem or in the area of Jerusalem because it was the, the, the capital and more expensive, they're brought into the area to farm the land. We can't imagine the kind of destruction. We, we, we can maybe get a hint just by turning on the news and watching the destruction going on in much of the same parts of the world today, whereas ISIS and, and uh, the, the Kurds and all these names that are in the news fight over different areas. We can imagine the destruction because we see it in the news. But then the focus shifts. It says the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, as well as the stands of the bronze sea. The bronze sea is this great bronze bathtub used for for um, uh, purification rituals. Uh, these bronze things that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. So before they destroyed the temple, before they set fire to it, they looted everything of any value from it. And this emphasis on bronze reminds us just how old the, the Bible is. The first temple was constructed by by uh, Solomon, a thousand BC, at the end of what they tell us now is the Bronze Age, and right at the very beginning of the Iron Age. So the most valuable things in the temple were from that early period, the Bronze Age. And they're carried away. They took away the pots, the shovels. And then it says there were some items of gold, some items of gold and some of silver. They were taken away. And then this description of the pillars, this this gigantic pillar um, and the, the capital on top of it. Everything of value was taken away from the temple of, of, of God in Jerusalem and carried off into Babylon. And then I cut the story there because after that there's some killing. There's a lot of killing. Um, but what's interesting to me is that even if you read through that passage, it doesn't tell us about the ark. See, this emphasis on the bronze tells us what would have been a valuable value to, to the, the Babylonians. The Babylonians show up, they know what's valuable. They want the silver, they want the gold, they want the bronze. But to a Jew, to anyone from Israel, they would have known the most valuable thing in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. This chest we've been hearing about over the last several weeks, this chest that is just a wooden chest overlaid with gold, but its contents are the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And there's some little golden figurines on the top. But the most valuable thing in the temple is not mentioned. So what happened to it? It's lost. We don't know. Maybe it was spirited out of the temple and buried somewhere in the city before the destruction. We don't know. Maybe the the conquering army carried it back to Babylon with all, with everything else. But maybe they looked at it and said, this is a wood box, it's got some gold on it, there's some kind of rock thing inside, I don't know what this is about, let's break it up and carry the gold back to Babylon. We don't know. The ark is lost. We don't know what is the story of the ark. For 2,600 years, no one has known what has happened, and Hollywood has speculated, but no one knows. And we can hear the pain as the writer describes these things of lesser value, the, the bronze, this relentless description of the value of this bronze thing and this bronze thing. It's as if he cannot even, he cannot even mention the thing of true value in the temple. All he can do is talk about the bronze. He's wondering why. Why has God done this? Why has God allowed 
this to happen. On the one hand, he knows. I mean, he's he's written the last four books where he's told us in First and Second Samuel, and then in First and Second Kings, he's told us why God has allowed this. Because Israel has been governed as God had said it would be by a series of bad kings. There was a handful that were not terrible, but most of them were terrible. They led the people into idolatry and into practices that are too detestable for God to countenance. So he knows the answer, and at the same time, he's wondering why. Why, Lord, would you give us this ark if we're just going to lose it? Why would you give us a symbol of your presence only to see it taken off into into captivity? Why? Why would you do this? If it's important to have the symbol of your presence, why would you allow it to be taken away? And if it's not important, why would you allow us to have it in the first place? Why? Have you ever lost anything? Have you ever wondered why God would let you lose something? You know, it's that time of year, kids are going to new schools. You know, I always hated that transition. At my, my school, we had, we had, um, after sixth grade, we had three two-year schools. So just when you got to kind of top of, when you got to the top of the pyramid, You'd have to go to be the, the newbie at the new school. Over and over again, my experience was leaving, leaving the one school at the top and then immediately being at the bottom of the next school. And, and I imagine there's, there's some people in this room today who have transitioned from one school to another. They've lost their status. They've lost their friends. They've lost the, the familiar surroundings and they have to face new circumstances. We read in the news about the way Anchorage is such a diverse community. We drive down the streets, we see the shops, we see the faces. We realize that Anchorage is a town filled with transients. We know how many people rent here instead of own because it's a, it's a very mobile community. And we wonder, what did the people we see around us have to give up to come here? What did they lose when they came here? And, and when they go on wherever they're going, what will it be like to lose them? We lose so many things. And we might wonder, why does God allow that? Why, why is the nature of our life to lose things? Maybe the things you've lost have been valuable things. Maybe you've lost some article of, of jewelry or, or uh, something that is valuable to you. Maybe you lost money. But maybe what you lost was something that was beyond price. Maybe what you lost was an opportunity. There was some opportunity that will not be repeated, and the circumstances you were in meant that you could not take advantage of it. And it's gone, and it will never be repeated. Maybe what you lost was an opportunity. Maybe what you lost was a loved one. Earlier this year, my mother died, and in a way it was almost a relief because we had lost her. She had she had uh, succumbed to dementia. She died of Alzheimer's or something like Alzheimer's. And so really we lost her years before. We never knew, did, did she still see us? Did she know who we were? Was there some part of her? We lose things. It's the nature of our life to lose things. We lose relationships. We lose, we lose the people that matter to us. We ask, why does God give us things? only to have us lose them. And there's no answer in our passage today. There's just silence. 
when we're faced with pain, when we're wondering, would it be almost better if we had never known that person, if we'd never had that opportunity, if we'd never been young, if we'd never been healthy? Wouldn't it have almost been better than to have it and then lose it? There's no answer in our scripture, and so we're, we're forced to speculate. Now, we can go back and see some of the answers in the previous chapters. We say, well, you know, I have not made my children pass through fire. The, the person that I loved was not a bad king of Israel. Why would I lose things? Why do I have to lose things? And so we are left with speculation. We say, well, I don't know all the reasons. Maybe the reason, maybe the reason that the people of God lost the ark, the thing that was most precious to them, was because the, the time had come for the training wheels to be taken off. That, that God had given them this symbol of His presence and it was meant always to be a temporary thing. And, and certainly we know that when they came back from, from exile, when the people of God returned from their Babylonian captivity and they lived in the land for the next hundreds of years, the Greeks and the Romans and the other people who conquered them were pagan cultures, but the people of God never chased after their gods. That somehow this process, maybe, maybe that's the answer. Maybe the answer is that, is that through this, this experience of having God's presence in the form of the ark and then losing it. Somehow that was a, a maturing process and they no longer needed that symbol anymore. And, and there's probably some truth in that, but it's not satisfying. It seems cruel of God to give people things that they can grow attached to and then take them away. Maybe the reason is... God was showing them what was important. The, the, the ark disappears. We, we don't even hear where it was taken. The ark just disappears. But we hear about the people of God. They're taken into exile. And they spend the next 70 years in Babylon. And they come back and the ark doesn't. Maybe this whole story is a parable to show us what is important to God. That people matter to God more than the articles of the religious worship. That what God is most concerned come back from Babylon did, and what God could live without, what God can do without, and what the people of God can do without, never made it back. Maybe that's just a big symbol of what it is that God really cares about. Maybe that's the case. And again, maybe that's true, but it it seems hard. But I think there is an answer. I think there's an answer Elsewhere in the Bible, not in the Old Testament, not in the book of Second Kings or Second Chronicles, not in the story of the loss of the ark, but way at the very end of the New Testament, in the middle of some of the most difficult readings in Scripture, the passages in the middle part of Revelation. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to do a study of Revelation. You know, it can be a little convoluted there in the middle, and there's all kinds of theories about the chronologies and you talk too much to people about it and you'll find somebody who knows it all and has it all figured out. And they're even scarier than the ones who don't. But they're in the middle of Revelation, in a not very promising passage where there's woes and tribulation, there's people suffering, there's wars and rumors of war. Right in the middle of this passage, the scriptures tell us, about this vision that the seer, 
John of Patmos sees. He says, he says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Handel's Messiah, but I can't even read this passage without hearing that in my head. It says the 24 elders, these, these guides who have been part of his visions throughout the, the book so far, they sing a song of praise to God. They fell on their faces and they worship God singing, We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The thing that Christ taught his church to pray for, that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done on earth the way it is done in heaven, has come to pass. He says, the nations raged and the wrath has come, the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. They say that that a, a, a corner has been turned in the unfolding story of God and his salvation. And then he says, the, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. How did it get there? You know, what happened to it? Where has it been all this time? We don't know. All we know is that at the end, when it matters, the ark is there. Did, did God find it in that warehouse, in the crate? Did God find it in a well in, in Egypt? Did God find it where it was buried by a few brave residents of Jerusalem during the siege? We don't know. All we know is that God knows where the ark is. And at the end, it will be seen in his temple in heaven. Was it destroyed? Did the Babylonians smash it to bits, pick the gold out of it, and carry it off to Jerusalem, carry it off to Babylon, the gold for the gold and the silver for the silver? Maybe so. But God knows where every atom is. And God is in the resurrection business. The picture here is one where wherever the ark has been and whatever has happened to it in the meantime, God knows. And the promise is that it is there. And I think that should fill us with hope. Anyone who has lost anything, anyone who has lost someone, can take comfort from the knowledge that God knows where they are. And that nothing will be lost which can possibly be saved. Jesus told us that those who lose their life are the ones who gain it. That anyone who loses their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel gains it. That we do not lose things when we entrust them to the Lord. 500 years ago, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther said that if he knew, if he knew that tomorrow the world would end, he would go out and plant a tree that day. And he said the reason is because everything that God takes into his custody is transformed gloriously. And we will see it at the end completed and finished. We'll see it restored in a way we cannot imagine. But the same way the ark, this troubled object we have been following for the last six weeks, is ultimately seen in God's temple. In the same way, everything that we lose, every one we lose, the opportunities, the health, the youth, 
the loved ones. They will all be seen at the end because God is in the resurrection business. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the lessons of the ark, for the lessons that that you have taught us through this study, that, that sometimes we're waiting for you, but you're really waiting for us. That you are a God who cannot be put into a box. But most of all, Lord, we give thanks for the knowledge that when we have lost things, when we have lost people, when the things that are most dear to our hearts are lost, they are lost only to us and not to you. And that in your salvation, nothing that can possibly be saved will be lost. And so, Lord, we pray you'd give us confidence that we would live fearlessly, that we would go out and plant trees today, knowing that when the end comes, they will be transformed, that we will have relationships, we will have projects, we will begin things, not worried about losing them, because we know that they will be found in you and in your temple at the end times. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.